Welcome to another episode of Learn with Bestern, where we discuss the latest trends in leadership development, self-development, as well as well-being. There's so much information out there. We want to make sure we bring in the latest insights and research based on neuroscience and behavior change to give you the tools that you need to make a change in your personal and professional lives. Join us on a journey to learn more. We hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with others that might find it helpful. Brendan, welcome to Learn With Best Learn podcast. Super excited to have you with us. Hey, it's great to be here, Elena. Thanks for having me. Um, Brendan, give our audience a little bit of a snapshot about who you are, a little bit of your career story before we dive into the topic of today, which is culture and leadership. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Brendan Kumar Sami. I'm the founder of Master Talk. Master Talk is a YouTube channel I started to help the world master the art of communication and public speaking. And I also have a coaching practice for executives and entrepreneurs who want to be top communicators in their industry. And how I got started was when I was in university, Elena, I used to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So mm-hmm. other guys my age are playing rugby or baseball or basketball. I wasn't those kind of guys. I did presentations competitively. And then as I got older, I had the idea for the YouTube channel because I realized that everything I was coaching the students on wasn't available for free on the internet. So I started making videos on the subject. That's awesome. Um, that, that's, I always find it interesting because it's something, you know, when we, you know, in, in my world of career development as well, we, we talk a lot about like, how do people get to what they're doing? And a lot of times it's these little small moments in your life, you know, in school that you're just doing maybe as a hobby or something like that, that just grow into something more, right? If you just maybe stick it, stick with it long enough. So it's interesting to, um, to hear how people's career stories come about. Um, it's really cool to, to have a chance to talk to you. Um, I really want to talk about kind of leadership and communication and how can leaders essentially communicate in a way that can create that company culture. But before we go into that, because that's a huge topic, let's just start with the fact that there's, you know, a lot of companies right now went from being face-to-face obviously to full remote, even post-pandemic. Now a lot of people are just truly having a remote um, company. Uh, And with that, culture has suffered in many ways. So when we talk about communication, from your perspective, what has shifted? What have you seen in terms of the big shifts as we as we changed over to the remote work? Has how, how has it impacted uh, culture or communication in your case? Absolutely, Lena. You know the way I think about it is you're absolutely right. In the pre-COVID era, a lot of culture is built with the human-to-human interactions in person. That's what creates culture and allows us to live and breathe the values of our day-to-day, especially the water cooler conversations. When you're at the office, if you take a small break, you can have a conversation with somebody at the company and get to know each other and really get a feel with the people that you're working with. But those points don't exist in the online world. There's a lot more friction. It's not as easy as, hey, Elena, I see you at the office. You want to get lunch or you want to talk for two minutes? In Zoom land, it's, hey, Elena, you send an email. Can I book you for 15 minutes at this calendar for next week? So there's a lot more friction, which makes culture a lot harder to build in a remote first era. But it's also a new reality that we live in because post-COVID, working virtually has suddenly become a competitive advantage now for companies to hire uh, exceptional people. Now people expect that flexibility. It's not just, oh, it's nice to have. Now it's a must have 
for staying to work at the organization. So it becomes a lot more challenging. But from a communication perspective, the biggest challenge of all is how can you recreate the same culture in a virtual world where before it used to be a lot easier to have those interactions and those touch points amongst employees at a company in person? Mm. You know what I found? Um, so we work with a lot of analytical teams and tech, tech, tech companies as well. And it's interesting because I see that those analytical teams are the ones that had the hardest time uh, because they are, they, you know, just for all of us, it's, it's, it's hard enough to kind of create the space to connect with one another. And what I've seen happen is when a lot of companies went remote and I literally was just doing a session this morning for a team and and I've asked them, I said, how many of you guys actually turn on your cameras during this? And it's a group of software developers, very analytical. A lot of them are introverted. And, and I said, okay, percentage wise, how many of you turn on your cameras and you know, you have five meetings a week, how many percentage of those do you turn on your cameras? The answer was zero. So I think the highest, one person said the highest was 20% of the time he turns on the camera. The rest was like zero. So, and I find that it's been a hard adjustment for a lot of people. Right. And you have your senior manager who has the camera on and then the rest of the people, you just have the little the little um, what is it called? The little uh, uh, icons, yeah. right. Or or your initials or something like that. So I'm just curious, ha have you seen that? Like, do you have any examples of companies who've done like do a great job with it? Is there a best practice? Like, do you turn on your cameras 80 percent of the time? Is it 50 percent of the time? Should you should you leave it open? Because also I've seen another argument where some people are just feel much more comfortable with cameras off and we shouldn't push them. But I wonder like, what is the best way to communicate when we're trying to build a culture of transparency, collaboration, whatever it may be? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's really challenging. I, I have yet to see myself a company that's really standing out in the space right now, because you're right, it's a really touchy subject. Some people it's like, hey, turn the camera on, but other people are saying, well, it's it's not really, what if people aren't comfortable with it? So I would say the companies that are standing out right now are people who are making a decision and being true to it. I'll give you an example with Tesla. So Elon Musk came in recently and he said, look, if you want to work remotely, you can't work here anymore. And he had a really red, he had a strong red line on that. Is that a good or a bad thing? I mean, we'll see how, how the couple of months play. Obviously, he's going to lose some talent because of that decision, but it might be reflected from the increase in, in culture that's built in intrinsic into the company. But what I will say, Elena, is that the companies that are standing out, especially in the candidate talent pipeline, are the ones who are able to communicate the culture of the business to people externally. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're a candidate looking to get hired into a company right now. It's really hard for you to assess the culture if you actually can't go into the office and actually meet people the office. So it becomes really challenging. So some companies, not a lot of them, what they've done very intelligently, one of my friends is a CEO of a recruiting company, and he advises clients on how to do this, is they start a company podcast. And what they do is they interview employees of the org on the podcast, and they use that as a talent sourcing strategy to send those links to prospective candidates so that they listen to the podcast and they say, oh, I really want to work here. I really agree with the culture, the values here. So that's a couple of things that I've seen uh, that companies are doing to stand out from a communication cultural perspective. I love the podcast. I mean, obviously we're recording a podcast, so, you know, I love my podcasts, but that's really interesting approach 
um, to create like almost an internal podcast for a company. That's interesting because you're right. I didn't think about it from that perspective. It's, you know, yeah, sure. You can get to know the culture by interviewing the different people in the company as you go through the interview process, but it's almost not enough. And not every, not all companies give you access to different departments or different individuals. But if you have this content that is like on the website where you get to know team X or Y, I think that adds a lot of value um, to the recruitment process. So that's really interesting. That's a great idea, actually. Um, so with that being said, um, in terms of leadership, so if we look at leadership, because culture, of course, um, again, is such a huge topic, and there's so many different subsections when we talk about, or, you know, culture and organization, but realistically, it starts from the top, right? So there's many companies that, um, you know, kind of in the middle and towards the bottom, people are trying to keep this culture going. And then you have a leader that comes in and just maybe particularly can actually destroy the whole culture with, 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 with different uh, tactics that perhaps didn't, don't work necessarily, or you have old school leadership, traditional leadership that never were able to adapt to this remote or hybrid way of work. And then you add the generational changes that are happening in terms of the different generations that are coming in who are expecting something very different from a company, from a cultural perspective. So there's a lot of challenges happening. So from a leadership perspective, you know, what is their role essentially, you know, in terms of in making sure whatever culture it is gets created and is embedded? How does leadership uh, lead by that example? 100%. So I would say there's three pieces to, to being an effective leader from a communication perspective. Number one is setting the vision and clarity around the vision. Where are we going and why are we going there? So for example, in Elon's case, it's, hey, we want to create a, we want the world to be a multi-planetary species by X state. That's what he wants to do. That's the end game. We want to solve climate change through renewable, renewable transportation. That's the vision. So the first role of a leader is to reflect and strategize what is the vision? What, and, and this is what we call vision casting, bringing us into our future, into a better tomorrow. That's the first piece. The second job of the leader is to hire exceptional talent that embodies the vision of the organization, who, people who believe what they believe, people who want to help permeate the culture, who do a really great job of bringing the culture forward. One great example of this is the PayPal mafia. When when Peter Thiel and Elon used to run PayPal together, a lot of the, the people who were working for PayPal at the time, almost all of them went on to start billion-dollar companies. kind of wild. And the reason the culture was so tight is because they all believed in this new idea of money and currency and creating a better payment system for everybody. So the second piece is hiring. But the third piece, which is the most important part of leadership, is repetition and refinement, where as the company scales, as the company grows and hires more people, the leader must repeat the same vision over and over and over again, because there's always people who haven't yet heard the mission, or if they did, it hasn't been reinforced. One example that Jeff Bezos did in the early days of Amazon is when people started working there, they actually had to build their own desk. And the reason he made them do this was because it reinforced this idea of scrappiness. Amazon is a very low profit margin business. So being scrappy, being mindful about every dollar and every penny was so important to the company's long-term profitability and long-term success as well. Hmm, that's interesting. Wasn't it that they use doors or something? Yeah, something crazy like something that. Something crazy, like it makes them build, like it's just like use, like basically like use stuff to build, to build desks. So it's not like actual desks. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, and, and, you know, you can look at the, the likes of Elon and, and Jeff Bezos and it seems like so extreme, but I have to agree. Like, I mean, in Elon's uh, case, 
Um, I mean, the whole idea, like, listen, if you want to work for a mobile company, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's probably going to lose some talent, but the reality is that that talent, like if it's, if it's, if it's giving you friction essentially, right. And it's not going with the vision that you have for your company and the culture that you want to create, eventually that talent is going to fall off anyway. So it's like, you might as well just, and he, they can afford it, I guess. So many companies, of course, cause everybody wants to, not everybody, but many people want to work for Tesla, of course. But what about in the cases of, you know, regular, small to medium companies that are driving the economy, essentially, because, you know, we work with a lot of small companies that are uh, kind of the challenge is talent. Right. So it's hard to and it's hard to find the right talent. Uh, it's hard to keep talent, um, particularly in a world where, you know, the Gen, uh, Gen Z is coming in. They just look at it for like two, three years and it's like a rotating door every two, three years. Um, and, and, um, it's, uh, it's not easy. And then you're right. Um, uh, when we talk about rep repetition, um, I can imagine that it becomes even more and more important because you have so much new talent coming in, in shorter periods of time than you have in the past. Right. So, and so, so let's, let, let's, let's also dig deeper from that perspective. So when we talk about repetition, do you think it's all about the leadership and the repetition and the managers, or should there be systems and, and like processes in place that create a culture of, I don't know, transparency, create a culture of high performance? Like, is there a system that can be created versus an individual kind of contribution, if that makes sense? Absolutely. The, the way that I see this, Elena, is that the individual leads to the system. So as different individuals get trained up, it creates a culture. So for example, when I worked at IBM, I spent two and a half years there as in, in change and in change management. You know, the, the leadership team, one of the big things that they were gung-ho about was uh, this culture of feedback where you're allowed to give feedback to anybody. But it wasn't just a line in a, in a value sheet every leader embodied that at an individual level. So you could go up to the big boss, which is something I've done multiple times when I was there. And I was like, hey, these are the three things I would change. And he would start taking notes, which is like wild if you think about it. He was like one of the youngest yeah. partners at IBM. He does very well financially. He doesn't need to listen to some kid who just started working at IBM. But because of that open-mindedness, it really sets the standard for not just saying what the company is about, but also embodying what the company is about. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one piece is where there's a tie-in between the daily actions and what the values of the business are. But the other piece to that, which is the most important, is the individual. What can we do, going back to your point, with small SMBs? Yeah, it's definitely really hard to compete for talent against an IBM or an Accenture or an Apple or a Tesla. What can small business owners do? And the only thing that they can do, honestly is tripled down on their leadership skills. Let me give you a couple of tactics that I don't see a lot of businesses implement. Number one is make a list of every one of your employees' goals on a phone or a place where you can access them. So whenever you have feedback calls with them, you can proactively mention their goals. I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm managing you as, as a quick example. And I, instead of saying, so Elena, how, how are your goals? Uh, what can I do to help you? Instead, it would be like, hey, Elena, always great to speak with you every quarter. I, I noticed some of the goals that we talked about last time, like A, B, and C. How are those goals progressing? What can I do to help support you? Nobody does it like that. But, like the employee's going to look at you and go like, holy shit, you like know all my goals? Yeah. It's a wild. So these are the little things that small business owners must do, Elena, or else there's no way they can beat their bigger, the bigger fish. 
Yeah. No, I think it's spot on. It's um, and it's interesting because it's like always like this chicken and egg situation because the small business owners usually don't have the large team. So usually even the managers that they do have are very busy doing a lot of things because of, because it's like you're the jack of all trades when you're a part of a small business, right? So depending on small, obviously, but, um, and, and what happens is it's like, you're kind of busy and you are doing so many things already. And it's like that now you have to do this additional thing, which is give that feedback and have that conversation. And let's be realistic that a lot of managers don't have man management training until way, 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 way later in life, maybe 10 plus years that they're in those particular roles. So unless they have the natural tendency to kind of be people oriented and understand the impact of relationships at work, the reality is this is where a lot of small businesses fail in a sense of creating that culture. So, but you're right. And these small things that you're talking about are so easy to implement. So whoever is listening, I hope that if, if they take any way, anything away from this is this point is that it doesn't need these big strategies or big you know feedback forms it's just literally just showing to the person that you're there to listen you pay attention you care about their development and you're going to keep them accountable because you remember what they're working on and that's what a lot of people want is accountability right and also by default i guess uh, what you're saying is that they're kind of creating that culture of feedback culture of continuous uh, improvements and so on Absolutely. And that alone, Elena, you, you definitely nailed it on the head there. You don't need a big picnic party here. You don't need a foosball table. You don't need beer and free food at the office. It's really about what are those little things that you're doing that most people aren't doing? That's one example that you just talked about. The other example is sending video messages to the people that you manage at work. I ask this all the time to my clients. I ask them this question. How long have you worked in corporate? They might say 13 years, seven years, five years. Some might say 20 years. And I say, okay, great. How many times in your career, not today or this week, how many times in your career has your manager ever sent you a video message to just say, hey, Elena, I really like the work that you're doing. I love this and this about your work. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Wish you a wonderful weekend. How many times has that happened? And all of them say zero. Mm -hmm. So if you just send a few video messages, it's crazy, especially if you, you have an SMB. I have one guy who's the owner of an SMB, like 40 employees. And I told the guy, send a video message to all 40 of your employees, even if you're the CEO. Like send them all 30 second video messages. I don't remember the last time an employee quit on the guy. I don't remember because they appreciate those things so much. They know if they leave, they might get a higher salary somewhere if they bid up the prices, but they won't find a better boss. So they're going to stay. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we know statistically a lot of people leave because of that, right? It's because of management, because of, you know, poor management. And, you know, to be fair to, you know, I work with a lot of managers who just simply just don't have the experience or the, the training to be a manager. So that's that's also up to the senior leadership to make sure that whoever comes on board or whoever gets promoted into those leadership positions, that they're actually supported and provided resources and tools to lead and be successful in those roles. So which brings me to my next question. Now we see this happen quite often. I, I think you might agree, uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's just in my world. Maybe I run into these companies, but you know, where you have you know new managers, right? Whether they've been promoted or whether they're just you know came in as new managers, um, and they might not have that experience. And then on top of that, the leadership that they report to are are not also great leaders. So and it's and although the manager here is trying to create this culture of transparency and feedback and manage their teams, the, the, the bottleneck essentially is at the senior leadership. So what would you advise those individuals who, you know, senior management is just 
it's a no-go. Like they, they, they're old school, they're traditional, they won't change their mind about how things are working in a remote environment, for example. And all you have is your little power with your little team that is right here. Maybe it's a big team, I don't know, but um, that's just like your little thing. Is there hope to make things happen or should you just give up unless senior leadership is has the buy-in? I mean, look, Elena, the, everyone's got their own perspective on this. Here, Here's mine. It doesn't hurt to try, but if I'm being honest, if you're an employee and you're a team member, especially in this job market, I mean, things are starting to change a little bit with the recession coming, but it's still a candidate's market right now in the sense that you have all the power. So what does that mean? That means you get what you tolerate in life. Like the, the reason I talk so highly about the businesses I worked for before I became an entrepreneur, IBM, PwC, is because I picked those companies, right? I talked to the leadership team before I even signed a, a deal with them to work for them. And that's why I speak so highly with them because I made the right selection. So it's the same, it's the same thing. If leadership sucks, uh, shop around. That's, that's the easy advice. And just yeah. find a leader that, that is worth it. Because trust me, especially during a recession, you don't want to work for a company that doesn't have great leadership. You're, just, you're going to lose your job anyways, because they won't know what they're doing during a downturn. And we haven't had a downturn in like, what, 10 years now, 15 years. If you don't include COVID, that was kind of yeah. like a market crash. It wasn't really a recession. So yeah, that, that's what I would have uh, the people listening to this podcast think about is, do you really want to be led by a bunch of monkeys during the recession? Yeah. Well, since scary times, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, let, let me stop. Otherwise, my business partner is going to be very upset that we're, we're having this other conversation. So <laughs> he, he was like, no, we're talking about leadership and communication and culture. I said, OK, I'm going to try to stick to the conversation. But it always there's always so many subsections. So maybe you have to come back and we do another episode on making sure we don't work for certain individuals, particularly in times of recession. But anyway, so let's come back to um, the culture piece. So how do you feel? So now, of course, a lot of people as well are, um, they're being onboarded, uh, onboarded um, in remote environments. So you can have people that are in different parts of the world that are kind of joining in. So what are some, what are some, I guess, best practices you've seen companies do that are just onboarding people remotely? How do you create those opportunities to build relationships with people that you'll probably never see in person in your life and might not even get a chance to meet? Like, do you become proactive and reach out to them? Is, is there like a, a strategy to do this? Like, how does it work in terms of getting embedded into the culture? What, I guess, what can individual do? And also what can the company HR do to, to make sure that there's a smooth onboarding experience? 100% Lennon. So a couple of strategies I can give you. So I'll give you three. Number one, have a buddy system. Get people who are around their age who are already working at the business that can be a liaison to other people. So one thing that IBM did really well was when I started, I didn't get paired up with someone who was like 10 years or 15 years older than me. I got paired up with someone who was my age, but he was very senior in the company, but he was like 26. So, which was crazy if you think about it. And what's nice is because he knows everything that's happening, he makes the introductions for you or she makes the introductions for you. Or it's like, you should talk to this person, this person. So you don't have to go run around and beg people for coffees or figure it out. Somebody's helping you filter through all of that noise. So your onboarding is really smooth. That's number two. Well, number one. Number two is intense note-taking. Take a ton of notes on the person you're onboarding, especially if it's a small team, around their personal interests. So that when you send them an onboarding gift, you don't just send typical gear, which is great, you can do that. 
which I think a lot of companies do that and it's great. But you can also send them another onboarding gift that's more related to who they are. One thing that my old boss used to do with his, man, his direct reports is he would send them books that he felt was helping them with a goal that they were addressed. So he would literally buy the book, it was 20 bucks and ship it to them. So it's like, it's not a lot of money. Yeah, right? these are people who are impactful gesture. Yeah, yeah and they, like these people are making six figures plus some, some multiple six. So $20 gift is like nothing like from a, from a financial perspective, but the ROI on satisfaction on on people caring about is is massive on that 20 bucks. The ROI is insane. So that's the second thing is personalized gifts based on that person's specific interest. That's the second thing I would recommend. So let's just recap that gifts. And then the other piece is really making sure that buddy system is in place to help them be successful. I would say the third piece, and this is a bit tricky that a lot of people wouldn't think about, is it doesn't matter if you have a virtual remote workplace, figure out employees who live in the area and make sure they meet each other in person anyways. Mm -hmm. So that means if I'm based in DC and someone's starting in Atlanta, but I know there's somebody else on my team who's living in Atlanta, I make sure to make that connection so that they can have lunch with each other. Right. So that's the other piece is going that extra mile. I don't see a lot of companies doing that third strategy. So that's the other piece I'd recommend as well. Yeah, no, I think these are, there's a valid, there's a very um, uh, great tips. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm still su continuously surprised as how many people get on board. And then, and oftentimes if there's not that culture of having your cameras on during team meetings, some people don't meet, meet each other on cameras, even for months, they can go months without seeing the faces of their colleagues. And I'm like, how does this happen? You know, it's like, like how, 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 you know, at some point this is going to come back and, um, you know, essentially bite them. It's just, uh, it's, it's crazy to me, but it happens. It happens. So um, good. Um, so I guess the, it's just like a final takeaway. Um, if you had, if you had like a magic wand where you could just, you know, fix in the world of communication as it relates to culture, pick one thing, what would it be? Yeah, I would say the one thing that I would fix when it comes to communication and culture is creating that culture of feedback. I feel that's missing a lot where a lot of the feedback that's given in companies is usually long-winded and at the wrong time versus small bursts over time. So for example, what you don't want in a company is every three months and you don't know about your performance until 90 days and then somebody says you suck and you don't understand why versus it being instantaneous, where you go into a meeting, it doesn't go well, and then you get a feedback right away. Hey, you did all these things great, just fix this little thing. So that way, feedback becomes a lot more encouraging. Whereas when it becomes this pile dump of a bunch of things you got to work on, it's not encouraging. You don't actually want to work on yourself. You don't actually want to get better. Versus if you give a couple of easy things that the employee works on, they actually nail it and you celebrate those nailings. They get really confident in their job really quickly, especially in the early stage of their employment and the retention skyrockets. Whereas, whereas if they feel life is a nightmare 60, 90 days into the job, they're not going to stick really long. Mm, yeah, that's good. Um, so also you, you're, there's some things that you're doing. So do you want to share with our audience in terms of where they can find you? If they want to chat with you, what are some resources you can offer to them? Yeah, absolutely. And a fantastic conversation. Thanks for having me. So two easy ways to keep in touch. Number one is the YouTube channel. Just go to master talk in one word and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And then the second way for those of you interested in coaching just come to one of my free trainings over Zoom, and that's rockstarcommunicator.com to register.
And all of that is gonna be included in the description of this episode. So again, Brendan, thank you so much. Nice conversation. Lots of good tips and strategies and examples that our audience can take away. I appreciate you being here and we'll have to do this another time on a different topic. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Elena. It was great.